All right, here we go. First John <laughs> chapter one, verse five. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I love this part because it says if we claim to have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Chapter two. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Christ Jesus, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all of the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey his commandments, that person is a liar and not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Listen to this. This is our key scripture. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. As Jesus did. That's the title of our series, Just Like Jesus. And today, we're going to talk about loving like Jesus. I want to share one more scripture with you, a couple verses. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 29. It says this, And we know that all the things that happen in life work together for the good of those who love God to those who are the called according to His purpose. For whom he foreknow, foreknew, he also did predestine to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Well, let me read it to you in a different translation. It says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. First thing I want to talk to you about there is that word foreknew. Because uh, a lot of people get this verse mixed up, and they start to talk about predestination and foreknowledge and all of these things. And some people will say to you that before time began, God had selected a group of people that were elected by God to be saved. And no matter what, these were the people that God had handpicked and these people will be saved no matter what happens. And the fact is, I don't believe that about the Bible. I don't believe that God, before everything began, selected this select elite group of people that would be able to hear the message of Jesus and accept him. I believe that the message of Jesus is for the whole world. Does anybody else believe that? I believe that Jesus offers salvation for the whole world. The Bible tells us that he died for the world. If there was just this elect group of people that gets to be saved, then why in the world would we even preach the gospel? Because if it's already predestined that these certain people would be saved, then what's the point of what we're doing right now? What's the point of telling people about Jesus? What's the point of preaching the gospel? What's the point of doing missions? What's the point of going across waters and telling people in villages about Jesus? If they're going to be saved no matter what, and it's just a certain few no matter what, then what are we doing? But I don't believe that. I believe this about God. I believe foreknowledge is the key word in this scripture because it brings it all together. What it means is God, he has 
foreknowledge. In other words, he's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. God knows the end just as well as he knows the beginning. And so because God knows who will say yes to him, God has determined to predestine them to be conformed into the image of his son. It's not really spiritually uh, 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 like high on the charts as far as like deep stuff. I think we've made it a little bit more complicated than it has to be. I, I like the translation that says this. It says, for God knew his people in advance. He knew who would say yes to him. He knew who would choose him. He knew who would hear the gospel and respond. And then it says that he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So we believe in foreknowledge. We believe obviously in predestination, but we we believe in foreknowledge that God has offered salvation to everyone. He knows who will receive it. And those people, he has designed this purpose for them. What's the purpose? The purpose is that they would be conformed, made like his son, Jesus Christ. The whole point of all of this is that we would become more like Jesus. The whole point of Jesus coming and saving you was not just to save you so that one day, you know, when you die or, or whatever, he comes back, you would get to go to heaven. That's awesome. And I'm excited for that. But Jesus didn't just come to save my life. He came to actually fix my life. He came to actually make my life better than it was before I met him. Does anybody realize Jesus was a carpenter? So not only was he fixing people's furniture and fixing people's houses, but his whole purpose was not to just fix houses, but to fix lives. And so he didn't just come to give me heaven as a home. He came to give me a heaven to go home in. Come on, somebody. He gave me the ability to experience heaven while I'm on earth. This ability, this possibility, this likelihood that I could be like Jesus is fascinating to me. Not that I will ever be perfect like Jesus, because that's impossible. Even First John tells us that you're going to sin, and when you do sin, you give an advocate with the Father, even Christ Jesus our Lord, and when we confess those sins and repent of those sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us. He's not going to hold it against us. So even God knows we will sin, and He set up a way for us to be forgiven of our sins. So He knows that. But in this life, we are becoming like Jesus. Let me give you a scripture that's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says this, We who with unveiled faces all reflect, reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory. So this is the deal. All of us in some way reflect the glory of God. Some of us reflect it a little bit more than others. You know? Especially over the holidays, especially when we get in line, especially when there's traffic and things like that. Some of us are reflecting God's glory more than others, but all of us are reflecting His glory in some way. And all of us, if we're allowing Him to, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. So God's purpose for me is that I would be just like Jesus. But to become like Jesus, the first thing I have to do is I have to submit to the process. I have to submit to the process of becoming like Jesus. There's, a, there's an illustration given in the Old Testament where God is the potter and we are the clay. And that's a great example, but the problem with the clay in that example is the clay in that story doesn't have legs and arms. It can't jump off the wheel. We can choose not to participate... <laughs> Does anybody hear me? We have free will. We can choose not to participate with God's plan for our lives. 
But the best thing you can do in 2017 is choose to be a participant. Because this is the good news for you. If you choose to join up with this, this, this army, this fight, in this faith, guess what? You win. That's already settled. All you have to do is make the choice that you're going to fight. If you choose to fight, guess what? You win. Is anybody excited that the outcome is already determined? Like, I'm not getting in this thing wondering what's going to happen. Like, it's already determined that I am going to win. And so I'm thankful for a God who causes me to win. But he says, hey, you got to get in the fight. If you want to partake of the salvation I have and the things I have, then you, you got to get into this fight. It's like there's a story in 1 Kings chapter 20. And there's a king there. His name was Ahab. And he was... He was not the greatest human being on planet earth and his life doesn't end up the way any of us would want our lives to end up. But in this particular story, something is happening pretty incredible. There's a man named Ben-Hadab and Ben-Hadab is getting ready to attack God's people. And he sends message to Ahab, who at that time is the king of Israel. And he says, I'm going to come in and I'm going to destroy Israel so completely that there won't even be dust left. There won't even be dirt left. Like I'm going to annihilate you so bad it's going to be so thorough that there won't even be dust left on the ground. Ben-Hadad kind of was a strong man, and he had already done it to Samaria. And so Ahab, who's kind of a coward, a fearful man, kind of shrinks back, and God has to send a prophet to Ahab. And this prophet comes to Ahab, and he says, Ahab, this is what the Lord says to you. The Lord says that I'm going to deliver this enemy into your hands. I'm going to give them to you. The victory is already yours. And Ahab kind of steps back and he looks at God and, or the prophet and he says, well, who's going to start the fight? Literally, that's what he says. Like, well, who's going to, are you, are you going to start the fight? Or do I just get to chill here in the palace and just hang out? And he says, who will start the battle? And the prophet looks at him and he says, you will. Because, guys, nothing changes in 2017 until you change, until I change. Until I make up my mind that it starts with me. Like what happened in 2016 is nobody else's fault but mine. Like if I just go ahead and take responsibility for where my life is right now and stop blaming people. And stop putting my, my life in other people's hands. And stop letting other people have control in my life. And go ahead and say, you know, things have happened to me. But life is not about what happens to me. Life is about how I respond to what happens to me in 2017. I'm not going to let stuff just happen to me. I'm going to make this thing happen. I'm going to start with me. And this battle belongs to me. But I start the fight. And I, I, I'm, I'm interested, honestly, in picking some fights this year. Like, I'm honestly interested. If the battle belongs to me, then why would I let the enemy have any part of what already belongs to me. Like, if joy already belongs to me, then why would I spend 2017 joyless? If peace already belongs to me, then why would I spend another year letting the enemy rob me of my peace? Because the battle is mine. The battle has been won. And it belongs to me. So in 2017, I'm going to take what is mine. Is anybody else with me on that? Like, I'm not... I'm not waiting for you. Like, if I've got to walk this by myself, I'm going by myself this year. It belongs to me because the victory already belongs to me. So, again, God's purposes for me is that I would be just like Jesus. 
but I have to submit to the process. Like I have to be a participator in the process. You know, in, in the new year, I love, I love the new year because like you, you have to be excited if you own like a gym right now because your membership is like, your membership is skyrocketing right now. Everybody's joining a gym. Do you know what will happen in about six months? Most of the people who join that gym will, the only thing they will ever have done in that gym is walk through it with that guy who shows you where everything is in the gym. That's it. And then in six months, you'll be like, why is, the, why is my account still being auto-drafted by this gym membership that I'm not even using? You, you know you can't, you can't just like sit in the parking lot at Lifestyle Center and get a six-pack, right? Like, you know you can't just walk into McDonald's and become a Big Mac. Like, you understand that, like, life doesn't, <laughs> like, life doesn't happen just because, like, you think really hard about it or you want it, like, really, really bad. Like, I want this so bad. And all of a sudden, like, boom, everything's just, like, in its perfect place. That's not how it works. You can't even get in shape. You can't even change your body by joining a gym. You have to actually engage the equipment. Somebody's like, oh my God, why did I even, why did I even do that? <laughs> and I know that sounds crazy, like, I know that, Robbie, but why do we do, why do we do that with church, though? Why do we think, like, just because we pulled in the parking lot and we sat in here for an hour, like, everything's going to change? No, it doesn't just change, we don't change by osmosis, we don't change by just being in this environment, we have to actually engage this environment, we have to actually engage Because God has given us equipment to be like Him. We have to actually engage the tools that He's given us, come on, to be like Jesus. We can't be like Jesus and not engage His Word. We can't be like Jesus and and refuse to engage His presence. We can't be like Jesus and refuse to engage His people. It's impossible. And so what I'm telling you is the first thing you have to do is decide, hey, I'm going to be a willing participant in this whole process. I'm going to engage the process of God Making me more like Jesus. It's, there's this fancy word in the Bible. It's called sanctification. What it means is just that God is making you more like Jesus. I kind of paint the picture like this. That at salvation, God comes and he comes knocking on the door of your heart. And when he knocks on the door of your heart, you feel convicted. You feel, so, you feel this excitement. You feel like something's getting ready to happen because Jesus is at the door of your life. And he knocks and then you open the door and you look at him. And you're left with the decision, do I make him stay outside or do I let him come in? And at salvation, you just open the door and let Jesus in. And Jesus comes in and he's in your house now and he's in your life now. And things are beginning to change because Jesus is disruptive. Jesus like messes with you. Has anybody experienced this? Because if you got saved and nothing changed, you didn't experience Jesus. Because Jesus... He's not just this like little tender guy who comes in. No, he like comes in kicking stuff around, throwing stuff like he did with the money changers at the temple. That's what he does to your life. Like he comes in with a whip and just starts throwing stuff around. This is how he gets active in our life. And so Jesus comes in. But what sanctification is, I like to look at it this way, is that sanctification is when the enemy comes knocking at your door. You don't go to the door anymore. You let Jesus go to the door. And answer the door for you. And so now I'm, instead of me living, it's Christ who lives in me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. 
Paul would put it this way. He would put it, he would say to his, to his, uh, to his church in Galatia, he would say this, and I think it's Galatians 4.19. He would say, I'm groaning, like I'm literally groaning with childbirthing pains until Christ be formed in you. I'm looking for Christ to be formed in you. I'm thankful that God has saved me and my salvation is secure, but I want to look more like Jesus. I want to talk more like Jesus. Does anybody else want to be that way? So we've got to participate in the process. The second thing we've got to do is we've got to start that fight. We've got to start it. So how do we start it? How do we start the fight? I want to make sure we get this part right, because if not, we'll just all try to be really hard in 2017, in 2017 to be more moral. Like, We'll just try really hard to keep the rules better. And that's not what I'm talking about at all. That is not even close to what I'm talking about. Listen to what Dallas Willard says about spiritual uh, confirmation and uh, manifestation and what it looks like to become just like Jesus. He says this, The external manifestation of Christ's likeness is not the focus of the Christian spiritual formation. When outward forms or behaviors are made the main emphasis, the process will be defeated and it will fall into deadening legalisms. I'm tired of legalism. Like, I don't need any more rules. I don't need you to tell me I better do something or I'm going to burn over it. I'm, oh, I'm so sorry. That doesn't motivate. I've been in church my whole life. Whole life. That stuff doesn't motivate me anymore. Turn or burn. I'm not like... I'm not motivated. Get to church. You better go to church. You're going to go to hell. You better read your Bible or God's going to hate you. Like, I'm not even scared of that stuff anymore. I know God loves me. So what, how do I stay motivated to be like Jesus? Because, because people are like, if you can't use fear, like if you can't beat your kids, how else are they like, what? That's what we do in church. Well, if I can't, I can't whoop them. If I can't make them feel really bad and they'll do it, then how how are they going to do it? Let me give you the proper motivation for being just like Jesus. 1 John 2, verse 6, our original scripture, our focus scripture says this. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Think about this. Our focus is usually you ought to walk the way Jesus walked. You should live the way Jesus lived. But we missed the whole point of why the apostle expected them to walk like Jesus. He said, whoever says he abides in him ought to. If you, tra- if you translate that out, you look at the original wording there. It's not saying, if you say you're a Christian, you better live like Jesus. By gosh... If you don't, something bad is going to happen to you. So that's not, the, that's not the phrasing there. The phrasing is this. If you say you abide in Christ, you ought to live like Jesus lived. Like, out of your abiding, your walk comes. It's, it's, it's so natural. Like, like how I'm moving around this stage. It might seem awkward to you. But it feels natural to me. I'm not like trying to do anything. Like, like I, I don't have to. This is not how I walk. Okay. This is, I hope this isn't how you walk. Like, maybe, maybe you do, but I hope not. It shouldn't be this way. Like, we need, we need, you need help. But if you have to go like right leg, I need you to go forward about four feet. 
Okay. Left leg. Do the same thing. Okay. Like, if that's how you have to walk, something is wrong with you. Like, there's a disconnect between... If you break the connection between your spine and your brain, what do you do? You stop walking. But if your spine is connected to your brain and your, your, your body is connected to its source, then your body does what it's supposed to do without even thinking about it. You know how it is when that person like passes you and they shouldn't have passed you or they cut you off and they shouldn't have cut you off or they steal your place in line and they shouldn't have done that to you. You know how natural it is for you to throw up that middle finger. It's just like second nature. You didn't think about it. You weren't like, now I shall burst up in anger and I shall lift my hand and I shall pierce the sky with my middle finger. No, you just bam. It was just like there. You didn't even think about it. And we, <laughs> we sin so naturally. <laughs> we sin so, so easily. Don't sit there and look at me with your religious, like you've been saved and holy for 300 years, like you're a relic, you're an artifact. We sin so easily. But this is what happens when we get saved, is that the ease we used to sin with, because Christ is being formed in us, we're supposed to have that same ease when it comes to doing godly things. So if like reading the Bible is still like, oh God, I got to read my Bible. You weren't saying that when your friends were like, hey, let's smoke some weed. You were like, yes, I'm all about it. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because there was just an, there's an ease to sinning. But if my nature is being crucified, my old nature is being crucified, and I have a brand new nature in Christ, then the, the way it used to be easy for me to sin, now it's that way it's easy for me to do the right thing. It's easy for me to live right and serve God. It's easy for me to want to be more like Jesus. Can somebody say amen? That should be the way it is. And so the focus, though, is not like, I got to do this. And I got to do that. If I'm going to be like Jesus, I need to go home today. Make a little checklist of all the stuff Jesus did. And you start with like, love your enemies. And you're like, forget that. Maybe next year. Like, <laughs> this is just not as easy to do without abiding. Abiding is the key. So he says, whoever says he abides in him ought to. It should be natural for you to walk in the same way in which he walked. John 15 and 5. This is what Jesus said. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I notice here that the branches were not asked to focus on producing fruit. They weren't asked. It wasn't... It wasn't Bear fruit. Produce fruit. And make sure you stay in me while you're doing it. No. If you remain in me, a byproduct of just being in me, of just being with me, is that you produce fruit. That's good news. So they weren't asked to produce fruit. They were asked to remain with the vine. 
so they could bear fruit. Christians are not called to produce fruit. They are called to bear fruit. Bear fr- Trees don't try really hard. Like, you've never, like, walked by a tree and it's, like, grunting. Like, and you're like, what are you doing, bro? And it's like, I'm trying to bear fruit, man. I'm trying to bear fruit. But that's what Christians look like. We look constipated constantly because we're like, I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to be good. I'm trying not to look at porn. I'm trying not to cheat on my wife. I'm trying... And no wonder we're so mean. Have you ever heard somebody say, Christians are the meanest people? That's because we're trying so hard to be nice. Trying hard to be nice is hard. Trees just naturally bear fruit because of the abundance of sap that's in them. A tree doesn't bear fruit when it's missing sap, when it has a sap deterioration. If there's a leak of sap, sap is leaking out. It's not staying in. That's why the Bible tells us it's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. God says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You're like a tree trying to bear fruit without sap. Can't happen. You just be all the time. And like church becomes like, I don't know, Dokalax or something. And you just... Go to church, and church helps for like 24 hours. And then you just... I know you didn't come on New Year's to hear potty illustrations, but that's all I got. (laughs) That's all I got. I'm not a professor. (laughs) I'm sure there are better ones. (laughs) Just want my kids to understand what I'm saying, that's all. Oliver could understand this message. I'm just trying to reach all people, guys. (laughs) So, so they were asked to remain in the vine. Christians are not called to focus on producing Christ-like behavior. Christians are called to bear the characteristics of Christ by remaining with Jesus. So I stay connected to my source. Keep my eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. He says this, It is God, listen, who works in you to will and to act according to His good pleasure. God doesn't just cause you to do the right thing. It says it is God who both wills. He gives you the want to, to do the right thing. See, that's why you come to church. You don't come to church just to fulfill some religious obligation so you can mark checkbox. I went to church this week. Now you go to church this week because you know how difficult the week is going to be. And you know that if I don't go and I don't meet with God and I don't experience God and I don't get filled with God, then this week is going to be crazy because I need God more than anything in my life. And I need Him to be my strength. I need Him to be my source. I need Him to be my supply. I need Him to be my peace. I need Him to be my comfort. I need Him to be my guide. I just need God in my life. And so I come to church because God gives me the will. You never feel like doing the will of God more than you feel like doing the will of God after church. Never. You come and you experience you're around other people. You're praising God. You're listening to music. You're listening to preaching. And you leave church, hopefully, ready to do the will of God. Why? Because when you're in His presence, it's God. It's not effort. It's not human effort. It's not human strength. It's not willpower. It is God who gives you the will. To do the right thing. It's God. So that's why you need God. So Oswald Chambers said this. He said, all I do 
ought to be founded on a perfect oneness with Him, with Jesus. Not on a self-willed determination to be holy. Being, with Je- being like Jesus is not the result of trying really hard. It's the result of being loved by God. And being in a loving relationship with God. Listen to what the Bible says. Jesus says this in John 15. You know, we were just talking out of John 15. We were talking about he's the vine, we are the branches. Remain in me, you'll produce, you'll bear, not produce, you'll bear much fruit. He goes on to say in John 15 and 12, he says this. So this is my commandment. After all of that abide talk, this is my commandment. Matter of fact, Jesus was asked to sum up the entire law. All of the law. The 600 and some laws. Not just the Ten Commandments, but the entire law. Sum it up, Jesus. He asked the man. He said, well, what do you think it? What do you think it is? And he answered with such a wise answer. He said, "Uh, love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. The command Jesus left with us, he said, new command I give to you, that you love one another as I've loved you. Listen, John 15 and 12, this is my command. Love each other in the same way that I've loved you. He said, John 15 and 13, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Morality is not the result of trying really hard to be good. Morality is the overflow of a loving relationship with Jesus that turns into a loving relationship with people. That's where morality comes from. That's where our purity comes from. That's where being just like Jesus comes from. It doesn't come from trying really hard to be good. We've all tried that. Works for a little bit, we fail. What works is the proper motivation. Some people are like, how in the world did Jesus come to earth, live 33 and a half years, and not sin one time? A lot of people, that's their struggle. They just can't believe that a man would come and he would not sin once. Like, I mean, not once. That's what the Bible says about Jesus. How did that happen? It wasn't just because he was God, because he was fully man. So he was hungry like us. He experienced all the same desires as us. He had attraction, I'm sure. They didn't, Jesus wasn't, you know, born and he just was unattracted to people. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm the son of God. No, he, he was a man. He, he was hungry. He, he was thirsty. He was lonely. Matter of fact, Jesus got to the point sometimes where he was so overwhelmed, he had to escape. He had to leave ministering to people just to go spend some time in the presence of God. So how did Jesus go through all of that, experience everything that we experience, and still live without sin? How did he do it? I believe Matthew 20, 28 holds the key. Jesus said this, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I believe that us having the ability to be just like Jesus is totally connected to how much we love others more than we love ourselves. 
To me, sin, all sin is, is me loving me more than I love others. That's all it is. That's all it is. From, from whatever, whatever your sin issue is, whatever you're struggling with, whatever that thing is, and I'm not talking about that thing that just hits you and you're like, where did that come from? I'm talking about that thing that you struggle with constantly since you were a kid or maybe it came up in your 20s and you're like, why can't I get over this? It's because you love you more than you love others. That's the bottom line. And I do it too. Why in the world would I fight with my wife and try to get my way and try to win arguments? Why would I do that? Because I love me more than I love her. Because if I love her more than I love me, then my purpose in life is not to be served. But it's to serve and to give my life as a ransom, not for people who love me in return. Jesus died for the whole world. So this is more than just keeping a checklist of do's and don'ts. This is more than just being able to go home and say, I kept the Ten Commandments today, or at least eight out of ten, 80 percent is pretty good. That's not what this is about. This is about being so wrapped up in a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. And the only way that happens is if you abide with Jesus. You have to be with Jesus. You have, in order to imitate somebody, you have to look at them. The reason most people can't imitate God is because they refuse to look at God. They refuse to keep their eyes on God. My little boy, Oliver, he, he, he's at this stage where... He's copying all of my movements and I'll watch him. He'll come into my bathroom and, and he'll want to comb his hair exactly like mine. Or he'll, if I'm brushing my teeth, he'll be like, want to br- he'll want to brush his teeth. If I'm shooting basketball, he comes and he wants to shoot basketball. He's at this stage where he's constantly imitating me. And as human beings, we grow out of that. We grow to a place where it's like, I don't need to look at my dad to figure out how to shave anymore. I've got this. And I don't need to be with my dad to figure out how to drive a car anymore. I've got this. But we never outgrow being and abiding with Jesus. We might outgrow our homes and move on and do our own thing, but it doesn't happen in Christianity. If anything happens, we need him more and more as the days go by because now we, are, we have literally got a dependence on God that only will be satisfied with more of God. The reason you should have thought a little bit about it, a little bit more about it before you got saved is because now you've gotten hooked on something that unless you get more of, you'll fall out of love with it. For instance, if you get hooked on drugs, the only thing that will get you high is more. If, if you got on coke and all you had to do was a line of coke for the rest of your life, we wouldn't have problems with drugs. The, 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 <laughs> the drug dealers wouldn't be making any money. But the reason they make money is because with every high you get, you need more. And it works the same way in the kingdom. You got saved. You experienced God. Now you need more to survive. You can't just, you can't just live on your salvation experience. Come on, you need more of God. As, that's why the Bible says he gets sweeter. He gets sweeter. He gets better. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We go from glory to glory and from strength to strength. I don't need less of God because now I'm mature. No, maturity says I need more of him now than I ever needed from him before. That's what it says. So I just want to be with God in 2017. I don't want to be religious. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to just be like Jesus and, and how he how he uh, dressed. God, thank you that we don't have to dress like Jesus. 
Come on, just for a second, could you just be grateful that you don't have to dress like Jesus? Like, aren't you grateful you don't have to have the hygiene of Jesus? Like, Jesus didn't have Aquafresh. Brother had some bad breath, probably some teeth that weren't that straight. He hadn't gone to the dentist. You're like, you're talking bad about Jesus' teeth. You're in trouble. I'm just trying to tell you, don't get this sweet. You're not supposed to like copy Jesus and mimic Jesus like in his actions. Like, like you're a mime or something. Like, I need to be just like Jesus. No, no. just bring that weirdness back a notch. Like, what we're trying to imitate is how he loved. You know why we you know why we need to say that? Because if we're not careful, being just like Jesus will turn into legalism. And then all of a sudden some preacher gets up and he says, I know what you need to dress like to be like Jesus. I know how much makeup you should have on your face if you want to be just like Jesus. I know what kind of music you should listen to if you want to be just like Jesus. Jesus loves this kind of music. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And if you don't play that kind of music, you think I'm crying? I've been in church a long, long time. Like, I've been in church services where the worship has been so bad, and somebody went like this. They went, can you just imagine? We're going to be praising the Lord like this forever. I thought, I don't want to go to heaven if this is... (laughs) Keep that. (laughs) So we've got to be careful, just like Jesus, man. Talk like he would. What does that mean? Like, what are you trying to say? Jesus wouldn't do his hair that way. Jesus wouldn't. Let's not go there, church. This is not about doing. This is about becoming. And the way we become more like Jesus is we abide with him. And you know what we do? We let Jesus deal with us on a one-on-one basis. And then we let him deal with others on a one-on-one basis. Because your issues are not my issues. And my issues aren't your issues. Jesus is dealing with us differently and in a unique way. And my expression of what it looks like to be just like Jesus might be different than yours. Some people, for them, being just like Jesus means that they sell everything they have. They give it away and they, they, they go and travel the world and preach the gospel. Is that being just like Jesus? Totally, yeah. Jesus was, was in poverty. He didn't have a whole lot of stuff. And I'm sure if Jesus had a lot of stuff, he probably sold it and given it away. Does that mean that's everybody? Everybody has to do that to be just like Jesus? No, because who would fund that crazy person who doesn't have anything? It's great you want to sell everything and go across the world, but who's going to take, who's going to fund you? Missionary. I, I want to just sell it all and go for Jesus. Great. Who's going to pay for it? <laughs> Somebody who's still got money. <laughs> right? So people are going to express it differently. Some people are going to express their love for, for the Lord and in arts. And I, I know plenty of people that are are in Hollywood right now. It's like, you can't be in Hollywood and be a Christian. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. 
You think that the enemy came up with creativity and art and are you joking me? No, God is the author of these things. We've, we've, we've made, we put Jesus in this religious box. He's got brown hair and blue eyes and he's white and he walks on water all the time. No. Don't put him in a box. We're talking about being just like Jesus. We're not talking about being just like each other. Does that make sense? I know I took a little bit of time to express that, but I want to make sure that as we begin in this series, we're not like, okay, checklist, checklist, checklist. You got to look like this. You got to act like this. No. God is going to express himself through us in very different ways. Very different ways. Very different ways. We you bow your head with me? I want to pray for you. your head is bowed, I want you to think about this. If I'm just trying really hard to be like Jesus, then inevitably my spirituality will become my Savior and my Savior will be used as a tool for my spirituality. But I can't be spiritual enough to save myself. And Jesus is not just a tool to be used to make me look spiritual. Being just like Jesus is the overflow of a Christ-like love for others. Father, in Jesus' name, as we begin in this new year, I'm just wondering if in this room, there's anybody in this room who would stand and just maybe throw your hands in the air. If you don't want to do that, 